Welcome to the Bible Unthumped, the podcast where learning new things about the Bible might make you think about it a little differently. Less thumping, more understanding. Welcome to the last episode in this opening series of Bible Basics. As I mentioned at the very outset of this podcast, I hope to publish this podcast with a certain rhythm to it. An arc of about six related episodes, followed by a Q&A episode that is a little bit different. So with that Q&A episode coming up, I invite you listeners to ask questions that have come to mind as you've listened during the last several weeks to the discussions about how various numbers of books ended up in Christian Bibles, the language in which the Bible was written, the introduction of chapters and verses, and how the Bible is more an anthology than a book. If you have a question you'd like to ask, please email it to the podcast at the email address thebibleunthumped at gmail.com. We will review questions and try to address a few of them in next week's episode. For today, we will address another Bible basic related to a term that you may hear often applied to the Bible, inspired. You may have heard the claim that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, and we're going to explore how that word was used in the early church. Before we dive in, though, I want to remind listeners that this podcast is intended to present scholarship, not to defend or to refute faith-based claims. So when we discuss inspiration, when it comes to the Bible or just in everyday usage of the word, we need to recognize that, as a verb, inspire is transitive. It requires an object. Something was inspired. And if something was inspired, it was also inspired by something. When discussing the Bible, Christians will usually assume that the one doing the inspiring is God, as in, God inspired the Bible. But the existence of a God is beyond the scope of scholarship. Of course, you can study writings about a God, practices associated with the worship of a God or gods, how cultures were shaped by their beliefs in gods, But there is no way to verify the existence or the non-existence of a god by looking at texts. How can you know whether a god exists? Whether a particular god exists? Whether or not that particular god inspires books? Whether that god inspired the specific books that are in the Bible and conversely did not inspire the books that were left out of the Bible? Scholars cannot be expected to validate things for which there is no evidence. That just isn't how it works to be a scholar by definition. So let's turn instead to something that can be studied. The use of the word inspire in the ancient church when it comes to the biblical texts. We're going to start with the etymology. The word inspire in ancient Greek, the language of the New Testament, comes from pneuma, a word that means breath in English. We get the word pneumatics from this same word, the branch of physics that is related to gases, and the word pneumonia, a lung disease. So pneuma is about air or breath. The English word inspire comes from the Latin spiritus, which is also the word for breath. We, of course, get other English words you'll recognize from these same ancient roots. Spiritus leads us to spirit, spiritual, spirited. Inspire, which is our subject word today. Respire, 
again, which means to breathe. We also sometimes refer to a ghost as a spirit, a sort of ethereal element or life force that remains after death. We even refer to liquor as spirits, as some kind of intoxicating life force. There is a related Hebrew word too, which is ruach. In the Old Testament, ruach shows up as the word for wind or for a spirit or life force again. It goes back to the creation story in which Adam is brought to life by the breath or ruach of God. Adam or humanity is breathed by God. We might stretch the related words here and say that Adam was inspired by God, brought to life through the gift of breath. That was an important detour because it helps us understand what meanings were attached to ruach, pneuma, and spiritus, or inspiration, in the ancient world. In the first few centuries AD, church leaders and thinkers would often use the word inspired when talking about books, including books that made it into the Bible as well as books that didn't make it into the Bible. But how did they know what was inspired and what wasn't? And the answer is that they were simply making judgments based on contents, based on what they could discern of the history of a book, and whether it agreed with what they believed was the message of the apostles from the first century. If someone judged a book to be on message, then it was often called inspired. But to illustrate how inspiration was in the eye of the beholder, books you may never have heard of, such as 1 Clement, the Epistle of Barnabas, the Book of Enoch, and the Shepherd of Hermas, were all thought of as inspired writings by some church leaders, even though they were left out of the kind of standardized Bible of the 4th century. This to say, there was no objective way of knowing whether God inspired a book, and there wasn't back then either. It's simply not correct to say that the books of the Bible were considered inspired, and the books left out of the Bible were not inspired. Those categories just don't line up that neatly from a historical perspective. Further, the word inspired was hardly limited by the ancients to books. The church at large was considered inspired by God. And individual early church teachers, including the apostles, were considered inspired by God. There are a lot of notable early church theologians, such as Origen or Tertullian, who were at one point called inspired, but then later branded as heretics. A person or a writing might be considered inspired one day and uninspired the next. In other words, knowing whether or not God had inspired something required judgment, and the judges often didn't agree. Inspiration was a fickle word. Now, backing out a bit, what did a person mean in the ancient world if they said a book was inspired? Did they mean God wrote it in some sense? Did they mean God simply provided some inspiration to the author in the same way we might say, a beautiful spring day inspired me to write a poem? Let's look at a very important passage in the Bible related to inspiration. In fact, it is the passage most often quoted by biblicists defending the God origins of the Bible. The passage is 2 Timothy 3.16, and it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and reproof. Sometimes you will hear it translated, all scripture is God-breathed, and the critical Greek word is theonustos, breathed or respired by God. But we need to examine another word in the passage carefully, 
and that is the word scripture. If all scripture is inspired by God, what did the author of 2 Timothy mean by scripture? As we noted already in an earlier episode, the Bible as we know it didn't exist until the 4th century. And since 2 Timothy was written centuries before that, scripture in this passage cannot be equated with the Bible. They are not the same thing in this context. Even the Old Testament hadn't been determined in either the Christian or the Jewish community when 2 Timothy was written. An important aside is that 2 Timothy was purportedly written by the Apostle Paul in about the year 65 AD, give or take. But the consensus among scholars is that the traditional attribution of this book to Paul is not correct. More on the origins of the Pauline letters in a future episode, which will be very interesting. But for now, know that most scholars would say 2 Timothy was actually written sometime in the 2nd century. But since the Bible didn't exist at that point either, it would still be incorrect, anachronistic, to equate Scripture with Bible in this passage. If we were to accept the early dating of 65 AD, extremely little of the New Testament had even been written down yet, and so could hardly be referenced as Scripture in this passage. Nothing of the New Testament existed, in fact, except the genuine letters of Paul. In the 2 Timothy passage, then, the inspired scripture in question probably just referred to the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis to Deuteronomy, the Old Testament prophets, and maybe the Psalms. Late written Old Testament books like Daniel and Esther and maybe Chronicles probably were not in mind because they hadn't been widely recognized in the first and second century Jewish community when 2 Timothy was written. And as we discussed in our episode on chapters and verses, context really matters in order to avoid distorting the meanings of the texts. 2 Timothy 3.16 is in many ways the ultimate in wrongly applied proof texting, used to demonstrate something that is believed to be true, imposed on the Bible, but that simply doesn't hold up when the context of the verse is understood. If you read the full letter, and particularly the verses that surround this quote-unquote proof text, you'll find that Paul is trying to encourage young Timothy in his role as a church leader, and nothing more. The verse says nothing like, God wrote our Bible so that it has ultimate authority. Rather, it just says, Timothy should be encouraged that God had in some sense enlivened or given spirit to important Jewish literature, texts with which Timothy was familiar, and which he should find useful in his ministry. To leap from that meaning all the way to the idea that God wrote the Bible is not justifiable. It doesn't capture the meaning of inspiration. To sum up inspired, then, it was a word used in antiquity by church leaders to identify literature or people that, in the judgment of those leaders, were considered useful for shaping the beliefs and practices of the church because of some perceived connection with God. What texts were inspired and which weren't, well, that depended on whom you asked. What did God do? What did he inspire? What sort of evidence would you need in order to know? Ultimately, inspiration is not a particularly handy word. In future episodes, we will likely delve in a bit on related words that are also often used to describe the Bible, such as infallible, authoritative, and inerrant. It turns out that inerrancy, which is an especially interesting claim that the Bible has no errors in it, 
is quite a modern concept with a relatively short history. As I mentioned, in the next episode we will take a break from these presentation-style episodes and do an interview-style Q&A, so I hope you will tune in for that. I also hope you will continue to subscribe and to share the Bible Unthumped podcast. Less thumping, more understanding. Until next time.